Welcome back to Christian Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Rogers, and this is the podcast where we discuss all things outdoors and how we can enjoy God every day. This portion of the podcast is being brought to you by Iron Man Outdoors. Iron Man Outdoors is all about connecting men to Christ in the outdoors. Not only will you get to fish and hunt in excellent areas, you will also see what it takes to stay sharp spiritually. The highlight of the weekend is our manhood discussions. They're not Bible studies or sermons. They're just discussions that give men a chance to authentically talk about what it means to be a Christian man. To learn more or to book a trip, go to www.ironmanoutdoors.org for more information. Welcome back to Christian Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Rogers, and this is episode number 42. And welcome back to the show. I'm so glad you could join me this week. I really appreciate you taking the time to tune in to Christian Outdoors Podcast. It's because of you that we're that we're here, that we're trying to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone and also share the lifestyle of the outdoors that we love and are so passionate about. I've been so thankful for all the people who have joined me on the podcast, those people who have given up their time to to uh, allow me to interview them and talk with them about the outdoors, about all the good things that we experience in the outdoors, and also to you who are listening to it. I really appreciate you tuning in to Christian Outdoors Podcast. If you would, please share us on your social media. Um, if you haven't found us on Instagram, we're under Christian Outdoors Podcast. On Instagram, we're also on Facebook under the same name, Christian Outdoors Podcast. Look for us there. Follow us, like us, tag us however you can. Hashtag Christian Outdoors Podcast. Also, hashtag Enjoying God Every Day. Because if you're following us, then you know that that the driving force behind Christian Outdoors Podcast is my desire to help you, the listener, to discover ways that we can enjoy God every day. And and we do that through a lot of different methods, through a lot of different ways. You know, for, for me as an outdoorsman, I enjoy God when I'm hunting, when I'm hiking, when I'm fishing, when I'm just spending time with loved ones in the outdoors. So so join us, too, as we uh, talk about the outdoors, as we talk about the outdoor lifestyle, as we interview people who are acting in the outdoor lifestyle. Uh, but also I want to invite you, if you or someone you know um, has a great story, or someone that you know is a participant in hunting, fishing, camping, bicycling, motorcycling, rock climbing, skiing, I don't care, anything in the outdoors and would like to be on the show, please reach out to me. You can email me at pete at christianoutdoors.org, and uh, I'll be glad to get that email. We can talk about it. We can see if, if it's a good fit, and we'll be able to have you on the show if, if it works out for everyone. Or if you know someone else, please just forward my information to them. You can find us on the web at christianoutdoors.org. Again, on Instagram at Christian Outdoors Podcast and on Facebook at Christian Outdoors Podcast. That's where you are. Tag us, like us, follow us, and share us with, with all of your followers and friends so that we can help this podcast grow and help get people uh, a good, positive word of Christ and of the outdoor lifestyle. So thank you for uh, tuning in. And we're going to go right into today's episode where earlier this week I was able to interview a really good friend of mine. So without any further delay, let's get right into that interview that I was able to conduct this week with my friend, Tony Smotherman. And welcome back to the show. I'm really excited about this week's guest who has over 25 years in the hunting and shooting industry, covering all aspects of outdoor media. He began, as many of us do, as a writer in the outdoor space, but later he owned and operated Tennessee Outdoor News, which at the time was the largest outdoor publication in the state of Tennessee. Not long after that venture, he jumped headlong into the world of outdoor television and has hosted several television shows on both the Outdoor Channel and the Sportsman's Channel, including Born to Hunt, High Places, The Hit List, and The Traveling Hunter. 
Today, he is head of influencer relations at BPI Outdoors, which is the parent company for both CVA and Bergara Rifles. He is truly one of the nicest and most sincere people you will ever meet. Please welcome to Christian Outdoors Podcast, Mr. Tony Smotherman. So, Tony, welcome to the show, man. It's really good to have you on the show. I'm excited to, excited to have you on the show. I don't know if you remember how we met, but it was actually at a Puma conference in uh, Shreveport, I believe it was. Shreveport, is that where it was? That was yeah. absolutely yeah. Shreveport. And I yeah. remember it. Here's how I remember it. The, uh, the amount of humidity and heat <laughs> it was burnt into my memory. Yes, it was horrible. It was <laughs> it was it, it was so hot and humid they actually cut the uh the day at the shooting range short because people were just they, they said, I just gotta go sit on the bus. It's just too hot. I, I totally understand and felt that pain. Yep, yeah, but I but at that uh at that in, initial meeting, Tony, I, I I was very vulnerable and came to you and said, you know what? I've read a lot about muzzleloaders, I've seen a lot about muzzleloaders, but I don't know anything about them myself. And so you just took the time and you just walked me through the whole process of the CBA muzzleloader that you had there. And, uh, and I, I was able to, sh- to shoot that Optima pistol, which I, yep. I love hunting with pistols. And then also, the, I think you had the Acura rifle there at the time. And, uh, and it just really, just you taking the time to explain it to me, it made a lot more sense than me trying to figure it out myself. You know, well, you know uh, muzzleloaders, um, it's, it's really a mechanical style setup. And, and that's, a, that's the thing that I, I guess I'm most passionate about uh, in regards to hunting with a muzzleloader, other than it's really a great time to be in the timber. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I love the mechanic side of it because um, my, my mind works mechanically. I like to know how things operate. And, and I think it also helps uh, newcomers to the sport um, and also maybe uh, youth uh, get, in, get into the muzzleloading world for the sheer fact that they really understand what makes that thing go bang in essence. Um, whereas if you jump in with a centerfire, you buy uh, or a rimfire, uh, you jump in, you get a, a cartridge uh, that comes out of a box that you really have no idea what really makes that thing work. Um, you put it into uh, or in front of the bolt or in the action there and, and it goes bang after you pull the trigger. But in the muzzle loading world, you actually get to weigh your powder, pick your projectile, load your powder, push your bullet down the, the, the face of or the front end side of that smoke pole and you really understand what makes it work and, and makes right. me I think respect it more and, and hopefully uh, the folks coming into the game makes them understand what really makes that thing work. You know that's a really good description of it. I'd, I'd never thought about it like that but you're right because you have everything from the primer to the powder to the projectile everything you are measuring and controlling to a large degree whenever you load that rifle that way. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah, and as you said, with the with the uh, uh, a center fire rifle, I just throw the I just throw the bullet into the chamber and pull the trigger and hope it goes boom. That's right. That's right. So yeah. understanding the mechanics behind it, you know, I think is is very important. Number one for respect uh, mm-hmm. for the newcomers or the young people that that get into it, um, uh, they they respect it more because they understand what make, really makes it work. Right. Right, right. Now, I want to get into some more nuts and bolts about the about the muzzle loading in just a minute. But why don't you just tell the listeners a little bit about who Tony Smotherman is? Oh my goodness, we might have to extend this podcast out. Uh, I got all day, man. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, some of you guys that maybe listen to this podcast right now maybe uh, have run across either some of the articles I've written written 
boy, you wouldn't think I'd be writing articles if I can't speak. That's why we right. have editors, baby. That's why we have well, editors. You know, the great thing is I am from the South, and I do have a hard time speaking English sometimes. Um, so when I go up north, I typically carry a translator with me. But um, nonetheless, if you guys are listening to the podcast now, you may have seen some of the articles I've written uh, over the last 25 years of being in the hunting industry or uh, seen some of the stuff that I've done on TV. Um, I've been very blessed uh, by the man upstairs to have a lot of opportunity in the outdoor industry. Um, and, and don't think that it come lightly. It took a whole lot of work to get to where I'm sitting at today. And, um, at one time I didn't know if I would make it anywhere in life is, is, mm-hmm. um, that we, we as human beings cross a lot of hurdles, uh, as we're growing up. And, and I did grow up, uh, obviously in the South, you can tell by my Southern slang, I grew up in the South and still live, uh, in the South, just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And, uh, my father was a, a really big outdoorsman, but not what we think about outdoors today. Uh, when we think about outdoors today, we think about deer hunting and turkey hunting and, and mm-hmm. fishing and all that kind of stuff. But my dad was a big coon hunter. Um, back in the day, coon hunting was huge. Uh, yes, it and, was. You know, everybody did it then. Now you can't hardly find a coon hunter anymore. But that's right. Uh, growing up my whole life, I heard had thirty walker hounds tied up behind my home my whole life. Good um, gracious, that's a pack of hounds, boy. My daddy was a houndsman through and through, and his uh, his entire passion not per se going and harvesting a coon like me and you go to the timber to harvest a deer or a turkey. His passion was 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 having the dogs understanding the dogs running and training and listening to the dogs was his passion so mm-hmm. um, yeah i had to feed and water a bunch of hounds and listen to a bunch of barking my whole life growing up <laughs> but as as anybody develops as they grow up um everybody changes a little bit and when i was coming into my my teenage years of course things is changing in a young man's body at that time and and kind of got me into some sideward, sideways situations where um, I got to running with the wrong crowd and, and doing the wrong things. And, uh, you know, to be quite open and honest and vulnerable to everybody listening here today, I, I was a pretty bad alcoholic for many years through my uh, early teens. We're talking 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Um, there was a lot of years it was pretty blurry. Um, um, just for the sheer fact that my, uh, had a little bit of home life troubles and not a lot of guidance there. And, and again, being around the wrong crowd. And one thing I realized later on, if you want to be an Eagle in life, you hang out with Eagles. If you want to be a Turkey in life, you hang out with turkeys. And unfortunately through those teen years, I was hanging out with a lot of turkeys that, that, uh, right. sometimes I wondered how I got home at night. Um, and, and did realize at the time that all that craziness was going on, that the man upstairs had a bigger plan for me because if he didn't, there'd have been a lot of nights I would have never survived. Right, um, right. Uh, so there was a bigger plan. And, and I didn't realize that till I got up there towards the top end of 17 and, and early 18 when I was fixing to come out of high school. I had some buddies there in high school. Um, my One of my big things in high school was FFA. Uh, it's always obviously a country boy. And loved FFA and I and had a kid that kind of jumped in the class there and knew I was a country guy and of course drove a big old jacked up four-wheel drive truck to school so we had a little bit of common ground and he, he asked me if I had ever bow hunted and I said man I I never bow hunted I grew up as a coon hunter and had never shot anything bigger than a, a coon with a 22 rifle basically yeah yeah, yeah. he kind of I guess mentored me into bow hunting which 
got me obviously, or uh, I mean, let me back up, not bow hunting per se, but more into just the sport of archery, uh, which I started to really enjoy. What time um, frame was this, Tony? Excuse me for interrupting. Was this like in the well, 80s or 90s? Or So, man, this is going to date me here, no doubt. So this would be in 1990 and 91, uh, okay. right as I was graduating high school. And um, I got to really enjoy an archery um, with, with this guy here because he was really good at it. And it was his passion and, and kind of become my passion, which turned into, obviously, deer hunting. Um, and... To be honest with you, the reason that I do what I do today, and, and number one, I love it. I, I think I was, I think I'm doing what I'm supposed to do in life. Um, but I, I think that I was put through those trials and tribulations as a young teenage person, uh, a lot of alcohol abuse and a lot of mailbox running over and stuff like that, coming home at night mm-hmm. with a bit more intoxication than I should have been. Um, I think I was put through those trials and tribulations to realize what an amazing place the outdoors is. Um, and like I said, when I got into the archery and then my, and this guy got me into to bow hunting, uh, whitetail deer here in, here in Tennessee, it quickly consumed me to where Friday nights and Saturday nights and Wednesday nights wasn't for going out and finding the best party in town or the beer joint that was open in town. It was more about studying and understanding deer hunting and getting rest. So I can get up the next day at four o'clock to go hunting. Right. Um, right. So really, um, you know, this sounds like really cliche, but the outdoors saved my life. Well, it's, you know, and this is one of the things that we do here in Christian Outdoors is we look to see how how God is uh, involved in our lives in ways that we may not even realize. And and one of the things that, and I've said this before on here, but I had a pastor tell me years ago, he said, Pete, sometimes it's hard to know where God is, but it's easy to look back and see where God was. Oh, it is it is crystal clear at 46 years old right now. I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah, that you can look back and you can say, God's the reason I got through that. He's the reason that I was able to survive this or survive that because he had a bigger plan for me and he wanted to make sure that, that I didn't screw it up in the in the meantime. You right? betcha. Right. There have been many of those nights that I'd come home and, and would get up in the morning and go out and see my truck and the mirrors be tore off of it or uh, – mailbox hanging off the front bumper knowing good and well that that, that i probably shouldn't have made it home right uh, right but again there was, there was a plan i just didn't know the plan at that time right and it's and it's just uh some people would say lucky or fortunate but i would say blessed that not only were you not injured but you didn't injure somebody else in the process oh 100 yeah. percent correct sir 100 yeah. percent correct and right so it's about that 18 year old time frame where where things started getting on track and and um what really, um, I guess, got my path really straightened out was uh, I was dating a gal at that time, a big outdoorsman too, and uh, she was in church every Sunday and every Wednesday night and, and never missed it. And I, I I hadn't totally tightened myself up per se, but I, I, I typically went to church with her on Sunday mornings. And um, the pastor at the church was a big turkey hunter. And we become friends over a period of time. And, and I had a, a burning question in my head that I figured he would really be the only one that could answer it with an unbiased opinion. And one day, I, I went up to him after church there on Sunday morning, and, I, and his name was Larry Swaim. I said, Mr. Swaim, I said, I got a question for you. And I said, I, I just don't – it seems pretty dumb to me, but – it's been weighing on my mind for a while now, and I got to ask. He said, well, you know, really, there is no dumb question. That's the only way you learn. 
I said, well, I'm fixing to hit you with one that I don't know. If, I don't know if you can answer or not. I said, but I said, I, I really feel that I'm supposed to be in the outdoor industry, but I don't know if that's a job. Mm. He said, well, you know, of course, again, this, this dates us now we're back in 92 or so here at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he said, well, I don't, I, I can't answer that. I don't know if it's a job or not, but if that's what you feel like you're supposed to do, then that's what you're supposed to do. I said, well, Mr. Swaim, I said, you know, w- when you was growing up, did you think you was going to be a pastor of a church? He said, not one clue, never spent no time thinking about it. He said, most everybody grows up that wants to be a fireman or a police officer or a doctor or a lawyer. Right, right, right. Things. And he said, it just hit me one day that I just knew that I'm supposed to be a pastor. That's what I'm supposed to do. And he said, I changed everything that moment to push forward to that passion right there. And I said, well, that's where I'm at today. I said, you know, I'm looking back here at, and I'm at my early 20, late 19, early 20s. And I said, I, I think I made it through all those parties that I went to and made it home every night for me to look back right now and realize that the outdoors pulled me out of that and got me tightened up and straightened up. And I said, I, I want to make sure that everybody that I run across in this world today knows what an amazing place the outdoors is. I said, because it saved me. And if I can save somebody else or get the outdoors to save somebody else, I want that to be my passion. Right. And he said, man, the only people standing your way to making that goal happen is you. Now go figure it out. Yeah. And that's what I did. Um, I started out as an outdoor writer. And, and again, it just shows you, man, upstairs got a plan. Because when I was in high school, I had a hard time uh, writing my own name. And <laughs> I know that very well. <laughs> English was by far my worst subject and almost uh, kept me in high school longer than four years. But I was determined yep. to pass my passion on for the outdoors. And the only way at that time, because there was no Zoom or Skype, right, right, the right. Laptops, we had to write, handwrite letters to editors and yes. hoping that they would publish an article that I had written down again keyword written, I had written an article, not typed an article, I had written it on a piece of paper and was submitting it to different publications. Um, and you wait six weeks for an answer. Oh, my. Because we had to mail, but yeah, because we had to mail them, I and mean, you had to mail self-addressed stamped envelopes hoping they would, hoping they would reply to you. I and, mean, sometimes the responses were slow as molasses on a cold January morning. I mean, forever get responses back. And you couldn't, uh, and you couldn't send that article to another magazine till you heard back from this one. You, you know, bet. it may be three years old before you finally get it published. Yeah, so there was a lot of hurdles, and how mm-hmm. how I changed that and pushed that forward is my my life has rotated around a pretty solid, again, this is country slang, entrepreneurial spirit um, of being my own boss and the leader of my destiny. And uh, there was a, a local hunting publication here in Tennessee called Tennessee Outdoor News. Um, had sister companies down in Georgia called Georgia Outdoor News, which is just a huge publication, kind of a mm-hmm. soft bag. Um, uh, we call them rag magazines, which sounds bad, but we call them a rag magazine. Um, and, and I went to this local guy and asked him if I could start writing some articles. And, and I did, uh, or he did allow me, and I did start writing uh, for Tennessee Outdoor News. Um and eventually purchased the publication from the original owner. And that's how uh, I really pushed forward a lot faster is I, I bought the publication from the original owner. And then I had my own voice, you know, and, and congratulations on that. I actually, uh, there's a friend of ours, I think a mutual friend of ours who just purchased a national magazine. He and some buddies did. And I, I just, uh, 
teased him and said, well, there's one way to make sure that all your stories are published is if you buy the magazine, you don't have to wonder. You don't have to query anybody anymore. You just, hey. I'm going <laughs> just, straight to the source. That's me. That's right. That's right. Uh, so it, a, it worked out really well. And, and um, you know, as, as I grew with that publication, of course, my writing got a whole lot better. And, and um, uh, which gave me the opportunity to get out in front of uh, other larger outdoor industry companies and create mm-hmm. relationships. And, and again, a lot of this was by phone call and snail mail, uh, of course, way before emails that we have today right. um, and had the opportunity to, the first opportunity was to work for a company out of Centerville, Iowa called Knight Muzzleloaders. Oh um, yeah. Uh, Tony Knight uh, become a good friend of mine for a long time, kind of the pioneer of inline muzzleloading as, as we know today. Absolutely um, was. Changed the and, game, completely changed the game. In 1985, he definitely changed the game for sure with that first rifle he come out with called an MK-85. Um, and I end up being just started out as a pro staff guy for them. And, and for you guys that's listening to this podcast right now, um, of course, we all want to be CEOs of major companies, but everybody has to start somewhere. That's right. And, and when I started for, for night muzzleloaders, I started out as just a pro staff person. Um that capitalized on that opportunity. Uh, and eventually, uh, I started writing, um, they, they had a, their own publication called up in smoke. And it went out to every owner of a night muzzleloader that, that sent in a warranty card. Uh, so I started not only publishing my publication, Tennessee outdoor news, but I also started, uh, writing and publishing the publication called up in smoke for night rifle users. Hmm. Um, then I went into writing and hosting, all their uh, instructional and safety DVDs that went out with every gun across the country. Um, and, and then, of course, again, obviously grew from there, but everything has to start somewhere. Uh, and, right, and right. what you end up with is what you make it. Right. And as we said in the, in the intro, um, that after, after Tennessee Outdoor News became one of the widest read publications in, in the state, and then you transferred into television, when the, yep. you know when the outdoor channel and and sportsman channel whichever one was first for well if you remember way back when it was TNT you know that you know and the and the Nat, the Nashville network was the first one i remember showing hunting and fishing shows and uh but then then you've been able to host television shows on on these major networks as well and and of course as the self-employed mentality um i i knew that I, I guess doing that stuff for night with the the instructional dvds um really i guess pushed my passion for not not per se leaving out of writing but more aspects of media to get in front of a larger crowd and that i felt television was the next step so i ended up selling tennessee outdoor news uh to one of my um if you will, competitors. Um, I sold that publication and focused all my time on TV and ended up hosting uh, Night Rifles Born to Hunt TV, which was an old, on the outdoor channel for mm-hmm. uh, four seasons. Then I, um, and, and these were related companies uh, with Night, but then I stepped over to, uh, uh, and I'm sure you probably heard of them, Summit Tree Stands. Um, mm-hmm. I hosted their uh, outdoor show on the outdoor channel for two seasons called Summit's High Places. And then after that, I went to Moultrie's The Hit List. Uh, Moultrie Game Cameras had a a two-year show. Oh, I'm sorry. That was three. Two or three-year show on the Outdoor Channel. And then, again, being a self-employed mentality, uh, there were some things going on that I I 
I thought I maybe could do better um, with a bit more creative control. So I, I jumped into my own television show, which is what I ended with year before last called Traveling Hunter. Um, and when electronic uh, email or, or electronic mail or, or email got into play, um, I was using an AOL, um, and maybe you guys. <laughs> I remember those. I might not even know what AOL is, but it was kind of the first server, if you will. So I had to come up with like a really catchy uh, email. And I, at the time, I, I worked six months hard through the summer through with the publication. Uh, and then six months, I traveled and, and lived in a Toyota pickup truck, uh, running state to state to state during the fall uh, to be able to gather enough, number one, dead critters and photos to be able to write articles once I got back through the summer. Um, but I, I, I basically lived in my truck six months a year hunting and then worked six months a year at my home base. So my name, my nickname kind of become traveling hunter, which is what everybody knows me by now. And right. that was what go was called was traveling hunter. And we were on the sportsman's channel on Sunday nights for three seasons. Um, so yeah, definitely jumped up through the ranks from writing to publication owner uh, and then into TV and then into TV, uh, TV show owner, I guess, if you will. Right, right. How many miles you put on that Toyota truck? Uh, when I sold it, I had 279,000 miles on it. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I literally <laughs> run the tires off that sucker. You spent a lot of time looking through that windshield, didn't you, Tony? I, I did. I did. I, I just, I, you know, again, just a passion to to get out there and see everything that the man upstairs created. And there's a, right. a lot of great states across this country. A lot of them have amazing muzzleloader seasons. Uh, and I try to take part or partake in every one I could get my feet put in. And um, so the traveling hunter kind of stuck and, and uh, which at the end of the day got me to where I'm at now, which is head of influencer relations for the CBA brand. Right. Right. Which leads to, uh, um, uh, I just flew out of my head. What I was going to ask you about, about, about the, Oh, when you mentioned the muzzleloading, so have you only hunted with muzzleloaders or, or so, primarily? I know it's primarily, but, but it's, well, from it's 1992 um, until 2017, I never shot a centifier. Oh my only, muzzle, only muzzleloaders. Um, you know, it just, uh, it just become a passion. Uh, number one, I was working for a company there, obviously back in the nineties and early two thousands that that's what they did. And, right. and I, I quickly realized that, and I mentioned this just a little bit, but there's a lot of states across the country that have dedicated black powder at the time, muzzleloader seasons, um, that offered a, a really awesome opportunity to be in the woods. And, and I know as a deer hunter and, and maybe not everybody listening here to this podcast is a deer hunter, but in the, in the deer hunting world, one of the things that, that people try to key on is, is a three letter word. And it's a magic time of the year called the rut when, when bucks are, chasing does all over the place. But in, in my opinion, that has always been the worst time in the world to shoot a big deer. If you wasn't lucky. Now, if you're lucky, one will run past you and you'll be able to, to obviously put a tag on a big deer like that. But um, in the, in the muzzleloader world, there's, they're typically number one, you're the first man in the timber with a bang stick. You're yep. the first man after archer season with a gun. Um, you a lot of times don't hunt in the rut, but again, the rut is, is definitely magical and you could shoot a deer that was from growing up five miles away from you. But uh, as far as a patternable, more successful time of the year, uh, if you go to Kansas the, the 15th of September um, and you have a muzzleloader in your hand, you can hunt a season like no other. Um, 
I, I got a ton of friends that are already lined up to go there right now. And it's almost like going to the grocery store to pick out a piece of steak. Mm. If you go to the grocery store and you look at the meat counter, there's, there's 50 different steaks there that you can choose from. And you have the opportunity to pick which one you want and put in your basket. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the rut, it's more like which deer comes past you is what is and gives you an opportunity is the one you get to bag. But, but see, I'm muscle- glad you said that, Tony, because I have always felt like I'm isolated whenever I say that as well. Um, I'm well, scheduling some hunts for the fall, and this and this one friend of mine said, he said, "Dude, you need to come out here the second week of November." I said, "Man, I'd really like to come the first week of October, if I, actually the second week of October if again. I want to hunt the pre-rut. I don't want to hunt the rut. I want to hunt the pre because it's an archery hunt, and uh, and it's in Kentucky. And I said, "Well, I want to hunt the pre-rut because." it's a lot more predictable. If I'm in the road, I may see more bucks, but they're going to be moving. They're going to be chasing and I'm, I'm bow hunting. So I'm limited in my range. And, uh, but for me, I'm, I'm, I'm just like you said, if I'm going to pick a time to go hunt, I don't want to hunt in the peak of the rut. I want to hunt before that, or maybe just after that. That's, that's me. Cause I think that the deer are much more, um, as you said, patternable. No, a hundred percent. You know, these guys in Kansas, they're going to go out there and they'll be standing over a, or, or perched up over a, a standing bean field out there the 15th of September. Of course, they're going to be sweating like a bandit and whooping <laughs> off, a, off of them. But every buck in the woods are still friends. They yep. come into the same food source every day. Mm-hmm. And if you're out there with a muzzleloader that we manufactured today that is good to 400 yards, you can pick which buck you want to shoot. Just like going to a grocery store and picking out a piece of meat off the meat counter. You just um, got to be patient because the first one you see is going to make your jaw drop. So oh, you gotta, I, if you haven't real. seen them before, I know. I know. I said, Dad, come look at the size of that deer. And then, well, there's another one. And there's another one. They're coming to the same place every day. They're on a ritual and a routine. And the only time you can partake in something like that is if you have a muzzleloader in your hand. Um, and then you, you mentioned this, but going into uh, a late season, a, a post-rut kind of thing, um, a lot, of, a lot of people think after the rut, deer season is over with, but but a deer himself or a buck, let's, let's, let's narrow this down to a buck. So a buck after the rut is wore out, run down, starved to death. Winter's coming on, temperature's getting cooler. What's the thing he's going to try to do? Food, 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 food. Food, food, food. Yes. And that's where muzzleloaders come back into play again. Mm-hmm. Always late season. Iowa, Kansas, Nebraska. I know they're western states, but they have some, well, Midwest to western states. Yeah, Illinois. You get two feet of snow on the ground after December 15th, man. Again. You'll see stuff that you've never seen before, dude. I mean, the 85 85 deer in a five-acre field because they're just eating, 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 eating. It's it's crazy. When they're driven by their stomach, that is their most vulnerable time and their most patternable. Yes, the rut is vulnerable for them, but it's not patternable. So it takes one key piece out of the equation. And for myself, I want to go at the time that I had the most opportunity for success. And that's mm-hmm. when they're driven by their stomachs. And that's why muzzleloading becomes so important to me because, number one, I was trying to get deer on the ground so that I could write articles so I could promote the, the great outdoors in my hunting publication. So I figured – if I'm going to do it with a weapon of choice, I need to do it with the one I'm going to be most successful with. And that's why that muscle loading has been such a huge passion for me for the last that makes 20 sense. years. 
That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. It's a, it was a, it was a business move and it was also just a, a passion move of what, what will get me in the woods for the most amount of time with the highest level of success. Yes, basically. sir. You now know. you understand the method behind the madness of why traveling hunter is a muzzleloader machine right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going on a muzzleloader hunt in South Dakota in December, and I oh. am really, really looking forward to that. I'm really. Yeah. Last time I went in December in South Dakota, it was like 65 degrees. I'm like, are you serious? You know what? Don't be <laughs> I know. Much. I know. I know because we, you know, we went in December because it's supposed to be cold and it's supposed to be snow and. And we had one of those weird, you know, just one of those weird seasons that that year, and lots of wind, lot which you always get out there though. Yeah, it's always windy in the plains. So I'm really hoping, you know, that COVID is not going to mess it up, and that we'll have some some snow this year. But it's like uh, the what is it, the 12th through the 15th of December, some somewhere around there, that I'll be out there in South Dakota with the muzzleloader. So I'm really that's looking pretty, forward to that hunt. That's Sir? a pretty prime time, and I plan on being just south of you there. Uh, in Nebraska about the same time. Okay. Okay. All right. So that's how the traveling hunter came about and you're, and you're still known as that. That's still your email address, uh, yep. the traveling hunter. And, uh, um, um, but as you said, you work now with BPI outdoors, which is the parent company of, uh, CVA and Bergara and a few other brands that I are not coming to mind right now. Um, and you're ahead of influencer relations with that, that that's, that's a new moniker that is uh, um, still is still odd for me to even hear that when they talk about influencers and and uh, and all that because I'm ten years older than you, so I go back even further in the in the writing and so forth and how how the outdoor industry has changed. But now we have this whole world of influencers, um, and I don't know that anybody really has their head around that term yet. Would you agree with that? I, I would agree with that, and and to be honest with you. Um, uh, when I stopped doing uh, my show, Traveling Hunter, I, I stopped because my my dad was obviously my my biggest my biggest mentor, uh, my biggest uh, fan or pusher to to keep me pushing forward, if you will. And unfortunately, he got terribly sick and needed twenty uh, four hour care. Uh, and 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 to do that, I had to stop everything immediately to take care of him in his last few months here on this earth with us. Right. Um, and and when I did that, of course, obviously you lose you lose the man that pushed you to do what you do. You, uh, I won't say a little bit sour, but lose a little bit of the drive. Um, and and because of my background with with being a writer, a magazine owner, publisher, obviously I was a photographer because I had to shoot photography for my publication. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, pro staff guy, um, uh, television show host for for. 10, 12, 15 years. Um, it basically covered all aspects of media that we deal with here at the CBA brand. And, and I will be employed at CBA. I'm checking my phone right now. So it's a, uh, four days from now, I'll be employed at CBA for 11, 11 years. Okay. Um, well, congratulations. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Um, it is. uh, so the, um, uh, I, I have kind of covered all aspects uh, of, of outdoor media, again, like I just mentioned, and, and we at CBA, we have been morphing with the times, if you will, and understanding that influencers is becoming a more popular terminology. Um, and, and I've kind of been everybody that we deal with in a media world. So it was a pretty easy transition for me to, to mm-hmm. take over the position and, and 
I kind of start this position, if you will. Um, and when they give me the title of head of influencer relations, it took me about three months to be able to say it. Um, <laughs> there a little bit, but nonetheless, nonetheless, everybody that I deal with in the media world that wants to work with the CBA brand, uh, I have been in their position, which really makes it easy. Uh, because right. when I talk to them, I know what they need. Right. Um, and and it, it makes an easy transition to for for us CBA as a brand uh, to work with them. It it just really works well. Right. So um, so yeah, I've been taking care of this title here for uh, I guess about four years now uh, as head of influencer relations. So I get to deal with all of our writers, bloggers, podcasters, mm. uh, TV show hosts, magazine owners, photographers and national pro staff across the country. So anybody media, that's what I get to do with it or deal that's with right. everything. That's right. And I got to say this, I'm not just saying this because you're my guest on the show, but, but one of the things that, that, that stands out about Tony Smotherland is that you always have time for us. You know, that, that whenever I say, Hey, Tony, can you help me with this? I need, I need this. Or, or can you help me with that? Then it, there's always a response and it's always a way to help. And, and you get us what we need when we need it. And, and for as long as we need it. And, and, and it's, there's never any issue. And that's not, that's not the, the norm in the industry, unfortunately, not at all. And, and me personally, I appreciate that. I do. I appreciate that, that I, I know that there's a few people that I can say, if I call, if I call this guy, then, then, then he's going to be able to help me out. And, uh, and, and you're definitely at the top of that list. And I appreciate that very much. So, well, I, I appreciate the kind words and I, I the, number one, I just love people and I love being around people. And, and, um, uh, but really at the end of the day, I've been on the other side again, that's what makes this position that I have mm -hmm. fit well and, and run like a well-oiled machine, if you will, mm -hmm. is, is I know what you guys need. And I have been on the other end, well, well, for the last 24 or five years anyways, mm -hmm. uh, and I had to deal with the frustrations of uh, not getting phone calls returned, emails returned, not getting mm -hmm. even dating it further back, not getting snail mail returned. So I understand how frustrating it is. And, and really, at the end of the day, you just don't know who the next rising superstar influencer is in the world. Uh, and at the end of the day, we all need help. Uh, yes. and I make sure that, that I try to help every soul that, that calls me or reaches out to me. And, and unfortunately I am human. Occasionally I could lapse a, an email by a day or two, but I try my best not to do that. Right, right. right. And I appreciate that. I do, you know, because as you said, not everyone in the industry does that. And it's, uh, and it just makes it really hard to do your job, you know, um, but I don't want to get off on that. I want to come back to another question I had for you is, yeah. is if you could hunt one animal in North America, what what would it be? Mule deer. I knew you was going to no say question. that. <laughs> we had that no conversation question. at SHOT Show. We was talking about yeah. mule deer and stuff. It's, it's just, I love hunting the mule deer. I swear I do. You know, there are several things that kind of drive that and push that. Um, number one, this of course goes back to my childhood years, man. I, I, me and my dad, one of the things him and I would do all the time, uh, after dark, if we wasn't hunting coons, uh, we'd sit on the couch and watch gun smoke mm -hmm. and, and James R. Ness, uh, Matt Dillon and, and Festus, man, those guys were my childhood heroes. And, and most of it, obviously, uh, out in Dodge city, Kansas, always Western stuff. And, mm -hmm. uh, John Wayne's of the world, uh, was my childhood idols, um, and so when I'm, when I'm hunting mule deer, 
uh, it brings back a lot of great childhood memories because I'm out there in that country where where right. Billy the Kid and all his boys run around at out there. Uh, so the scenery is amazing. It brings back great memories for me as a as a young man. Um, and thankfully, you know, uh, mule deer are not too smart, so uh, it makes it a little easier on me to 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 put one in the truck. You know, there. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and another thing too, you know, when we. Of course, I'm a, obviously a big whitetail guy. I've been a, an Illinois farm investor for years, had a big outfitting operation up there for years, uh, have farms here in Tennessee that is just dedicated 100% towards whitetail hunting. So don't think I don't like it. I do. But when you're sitting in a tree stand, it's more like waiting right. on a deer, where when you're hunting mule deer, you're on the ground, you're watching the wind, you're covering ground, you're burning yeah. shoe leather, you're making it happen. You're actually on the hunt. Yeah. Running glass 10, 15 hours a day. It's a, it is hunting when you get out there in those mountains. So mm, whether it's I love that, I love yeah. that spot and stalk hunting. I do. I, and you know, and living in South Carolina, we don't get to do that a whole lot. Um, but man, there's just something about hunting the West. It's just, it's just, it's kind of like I read years ago. I think it was Thomas McNally writing about fly fishing said the best part about fly fishing is where you get to do it. And you I bet. Think, I think that's really true when it comes to mule deer hunting. One of the best parts of mule deer hunting is where you get to do it. It's just beautiful country, no matter where they are. It is definitely a romantic setting. Um, and of course, if you, if you live out there, you're probably immune to it. Uh, but for us, Eastern guys, man, that place, um, the West in general, not state per se, mm -hmm. but that, the Western area in general is just so romantic and beautiful. And, um, as we speak, it's funny, you bring up fly fishing. I'm actually packing my gear. As soon as we get off this podcast, I'm heading to Wyoming for 10 days, uh, to, to fly fish and do a little pre-season scouting out there. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I, th I think when we were at SHOT Show, you and I were talking about mule deer and I, and I, and I've told you, I still haven't drawn a tag. Um, and this year I had to just buy points cause I knew I couldn't go this year. Mm -hmm. So, so, uh, but because of other commitments, but I am going to, I've got to just make it happen. I've got to, I've been, I've, I bet I got six or eight mule deer points, which I know I can draw at any time now. Um, cause I have so many, I have antelope and mule deer points as well. And, uh, it's just one of those things that you just keep applying and you think, well, you got to decide so early in the year, you know, for the people who just can't go every year, you got to decide so early in the year, am I going to be able to go when the season comes around? And I think, you know, on my end, I, I just got to make the commitment to do it just like I do for the, my, for my other hunts that I do that are a little bit closer. But for me to drive to Wyoming, whew, that's a 30 hour hunt. It is. That's a pretty good <laughs> little pose. But, but here, but let's think about this, you know, uh, Really, at the end of the day, we are not promised tomorrow. Tomorrow is a that's gift. That's right. That's right. Uh, and you say, oh, man, that's 20, well, for you, 30. For me, about 24-hour drive. Oh, my goodness, that's 24-hour drive. Man, I won't never make it. But really, 24 hours is nothing. That's right. You, you're, you're absolutely right. You can be there tomorrow in a whole, well, feel like in a whole different country. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that that drive does wear on you. I, I typically drive to Wyoming. Um two to three times a year, depending on what's going on, just because I love Wyoming. My wife is from Wyoming. Um, I, obviously now I got, I got the outlaws in, in Wyoming, uh, not be the kid, but my in-laws, I got them out there in Wyoming now. So, um, make the trip out there to see them, uh, quite often. And, um, man, I'll tell you 24 hours is nothing. I can sit on the couch yeah. and blow a day or I can get in the car and be in Wyoming. That's right. That's right. And dude, if my in-laws lived in Wyoming, I'd be in Wyoming. <laughs> I, mean, I can tell you that. <laughs> I, I, I may or may not be searching for a new home out there when I go out here next. Year. <laughs> I 
there's, there's nothing like that state. That is by far my favorite place. It is, it is by far my favorite place, but I have a hundred of them all, but, uh, uh, Wyoming is just, it's just a special place in my heart. It's just so beautiful. So beautiful oh, out there. I feel your pain. No doubt. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get a refreshment of that here starting Friday. Well, I'll be, I'll be coveting that. I really will. I'll be coveting that. Hey man, we got social media now. You can live vicariously through me through my Instagram posts. I will be, I will be. And when you told me how many mule deer that you've taken out there, when we were talking shot shot, I was just, I was just drooling. You know, I was just like, oh man, I, was, I, I just got to make it happen. I oh, man. That's the same thing. It's the same thing that uh, uh, another friend told me about because uh, I've always dreamed of going to Africa and hunting in Africa. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, what are you waiting on? I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I'm part of it is none of my hunting buddies have any desire to go to Africa. And I, that's something I really want to share with somebody. I don't want to go by myself, even though I will go by myself, you know, but it's just really something that you'd really want to share with somebody. And I haven't found anybody willing to go with me was, is one of the big reasons that I haven't gone. Um, sure. Sir. I said, sure enough. Yeah. That country over there, man, it's, it's pretty doggone special. I have never, uh, I've never made it over there either. Uh, I've hunted, all the Canadian provinces, um, mm-hmm. I'm in Alaska and over into Newfoundland as well. I uh, just never made it over the big water. We need to do that. Hey, man, <laughs> you ain't going to twist my arm too much because there's a few of them critters over there. The the Gimsbach over there, man, has is, is always been a, a kind of high priority for me. Number one on my list is the Gimsbach. Yep. Yep. Hey, really good is. night. I like, man. The, that that those markings on his face are so beautiful. I just, oh, I think yeah. it's just a beautiful, beautiful animal. Uh, I really do. Um, I'm digressing. You get me talking about that stuff. I'll just, I'll, for, I'll forget everything that we're here to talk about. So yeah, we're just in here dreaming and talking about things now, but, uh, but that's what, that's one of the glories about podcasts. You know, you can, you can chase your rabbits however far you want to chase them. So, um, so, so Tony, if you don't mind, um, you know, again, this is Christian Outdoors, and I love to talk about the outdoors and everything, but one of the reasons that I started this podcast is because I know that most of the people that I've come in contact with in the industry, and when I say the industry, I mean the hunting, fishing, outdoor industry, tend to be people of faith. Um, and some of them are a lot more open about it than others, and others are a little more reserved about it. Um, but you, uh, you know, you've made a lot of references about the man upstairs and about about your your faith in that. So would you mind sharing your faith journey some for the listeners? You know, like I said earlier, I it, it took me a while uh, to look back and, and you know, the, the terminology uh, that, uh, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, And I, I guess I never really quite understood that. I mean, I, I come from a long line of, of family members with a ton of witticisms and a and a whole lot of stuff to say all the time, but I never really understood that hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, but obviously looking now at 46 years old, the hindsight is wicked clear, um, that the man upstairs had a plan for me. Um, like I said, I went through a bunch of tough times as a teenager and, and, and when I was in the well, if you will, in the well, I, I did not see how bad of a spot I was in. And thankfully, uh, the man upstairs put that, that my buddy in my life that, that got me into archery. Uh, and it, it started to become a little clear why I went through all those issues and why the man upstairs got me out of those issues um, is to tell everybody and make sure everybody understands that, that the reason I'm here today is is without a shadow of a doubt, the man upstairs had his hand on me the whole time uh, and, and had a, a vision for me, um, just like 
my buddy that was a, a pastor of the church, Mr. Swain, uh, he didn't know he was going to be a pastor until he got up in the years. And um, uh, I didn't really know what I was going to do until I come out of that well of, of all of the mess I was into there in my teenage years. And, um, you know, I, I get uh, a lot of times um, through the keyboard keyboard cowboys of the world, oh, it must be nice to work for hunting company. It must be nice um, uh, to be able to hunt six months a year and, and do all the stuff I do. And, and believe me, it absolutely is nice, but I would not be able to do it if it wasn't for the man upstairs having his hand on me back long, long time ago. Um, so blessed, um, not by a silver spoon, by any stretch. My dad was, uh, I won't say a poor man, but my dad was not a, a rich businessman tycoon where I was a silver spooner and got to ride his coattail. That That's absolutely mm-hmm. not the case. Uh, the man upstairs blessed me with a lot of drive and ambition and a lot of sand in my pants or a lot of grit uh, to, to be able to get out and go do what I wanted to do. And he had his hand on me the entire time. It just took a while to see it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and that's not that uncommon. I mean, it's not that uncommon for us to, as you said, is it is to uh, realize later that it was God who brought me to this point. That Again, as I said earlier, that sometimes we can't see where God is, but it's easy to look back and see where God was. And, uh, and then when we look back and say, you know what? This didn't happen by happenstance. This isn't luck. This isn't again happenstance or 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 um, karma. This is this is the hand of God that's moving all these pieces together so that I could be right where I am today. Because one of the things I believe, Tony, is that is that you know as the scripture tells us is, and I'm gonna paraphrase it and I'm gonna butcher it really bad here, but that God puts you here at this time and at this place for a reason. And that's in Acts, and I'll find the source of it and put it in the notes. But that, you know, it's it's no accident that that you are where you are today. That uh, um, again, you had to put in the work, you had to put in the drive, you had to, you know, when God opens the door, we have to walk through that door, you know. Or or if if a door closes, we can't just stand there and and cry. We have to turn around and go find another door. Mm-hmm. But that you know, but it it's you know it's what what we put into it, but recognizing that it is not just us, that it's never just us, because if it's just us, then we're we're nowhere near as capable of achieving what God's plan for us is capable of achieving. I agree a hundred percent. And and when you say opening a door, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, the gentleman Larry Swain that really again he was the pastor uh, that that uh, I. Uh, was going and seeing with the girlfriend at the time uh, back in my late teens, early 20 uh, span of life there. Um, so he, Larry Swain pushed me to be where I'm at today because he's the one who told me that, well, I don't know if the outdoor industry is really a job, but if that's what you think you're supposed to do, I, I urge you to go try to find that and make it happen. And, and I did. So again, I was blessed with with drive and ambition uh, to push forward as a, as a self-employed style individual. Um, but since then, uh, again, 19 or 20, I had not, I, I unfortunately, and that, uh, well, fortunately, cause I got a great wife now, but, um, again, there's always a plan. Um, uh, me and that young lady did not last a whole lot longer. So I, I, I separated my ways with Mr. Larry Swain, uh, and I did not see Larry for, I uh, see, hear anything of him probably for 15 years, maybe 20. Um, and here a while back. Um, I was asked to come speak at a, a men's event um, 
at a local church here close to me, just outside of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. They called me up and said, hey, we'd like to come. We'd like you to come speak here. We have a, a Thursday night gathering uh, for men and, and their and their children. Uh, it's kind of an outdoor night, outdoor ministry. And you're a local guy and, and you make a living in the hunting industry. We would sure like for you to come out and speak and tell your story. I said, man, that would be an honor and count me in. I'm coming. So I show up at the event. Uh, I'm there in the crowd talking to people and shaking hands and all that kind of good stuff. And, and, and they call for order and it's about seven o'clock there at night. And they say, Hey man, you know, you get up here and spill your, spill your guts and tell everybody why you do what you do and who you are. And, and kind of what we're talking here today on this podcast. And I get up on the podium and everybody's sitting down, everybody's quiet. And I kind of go into the spill of, of why I do what I do today. And I said, there's a man that, you know, I hadn't seen in a long time. I said, uh, his name's Mr. Larry Swain. He's was a local preacher here in the area, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, he's the one that really pushed me to be here. Um, and I will tell you right now, that man walked through the door. Did he really? I'm, I'm a 46-year-old man now. Of course, I wasn't 46 at the time, but I, I literally broke down and cried because I have not seen or spoke to him since he told me to go run my path, try to fulfill that dream of being in the outdoor industry. And he walks through the door unannounced, late to the game, not sitting in the crowd. I'm five minutes into talking to everybody there. And he walks through the door. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. The man who really pushed me to be here today just walked through the door. Oh, I wow. Years. Talking about having a hand on things. The man upstairs planned that one, too. Dude, I got goosebumps when you said that. Oh, it, it, <laughs> I, 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 do. I, I got my throat big as an apple right now. <laughs> I do. I got goosebumps just, um, just hearing you tell that, that story. And, and, and um, you know, he wasn't a pastor at this church. I don't even know if he was a member. He, mm. he just walked in the door. It blew me away. Um, so it, it was an amazing night there at that event, I will tell you that. Um, I bet so, yeah. yeah. But, yes. That's awesome. That's awesome. So here's a here's a question that I like to I mean because you are you make a living in the hunting and fishing industry, but 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 you are uh, a very busy man, you know. I mean you are very busy with all the things that you have going on, and one of the things you know as uh, that I like to ask people who are you know regardless of what they do for a living, but but just who have achieved a level of success and head of influencer relations and you know the traveling hunter and going to all these media events and and so forth. How do you balance all that stuff? I, th- I think a lot of people that I talk to, Tony, are are overwhelmed with with life at times. You know, they're trying to be a good husband and they're trying to keep the mortgage paid and they're trying to spend time with their kids or their wife and and they're trying to, you know, uh, be a good employee and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they just get overwhelmed with things. And you know, how, how are you able to balance uh, all these things in your personal and your professional life? You know, that is a question that comes up a lot. Uh, I get asked many times, do you ever sleep? <laughs> um, and, and sometimes uh, there be weeks that I feel like I don't sleep. Um, but again, it comes down to the passion um, and the drive that the man upstairs put in me at a very young age. And and basically, I work uh, from can to can't. That's from when I can till I can't no more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a sometimes a hard balance. But the the again, there's always a plan. Uh, the the woman that I met, young lady at the time that I met in Wyoming, 
I, I met her when I was out there on a mule deer trip in preparation for an article for a publication that I was writing for. Um, and when I, when I met her, I told her who I was and I, and I had handed her and I remember it still today. I handed her a business card and it said, outdoor writer and videographer, because before I got into TV, I was doing uh, some videography too, uh, for some folks traveling as a cameraman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I handed her this business card and she's like, she looked at me, of course, she's from West where outfitters are huge. And she's like, are, are you like some kind of outfitter or something? I'm like, no, ain't no outfitter. I'm an outdoor writer. She said, what the heck is that? <laughs> like, well, I had to explain all that to her. Um, but I was already um, somewhat living in the outdoor industry, obviously at the time owning Tennessee Outdoor News and, and doing videography and things like that. So when I met her, she already understand understood who I was, who Tony Smotherman was. Um, and and um, as that relationship grew, I was gone again. That was early in the travel of the six month. That was in October uh, when I was in Wyoming. And then and you got several months after that, a full travel. So her and I communicated and I was in a different state. It seemed like every time the phone call uh, rang to, to visit with her on the phone. And so she got who I was and why I was doing it a long time ago. Um, right. and she, she has been my biggest push. So, so having a, a great, you know, that there's, here's another old scenario, uh, behind every great man is a great woman. And that is in my case, 100% the God's honest truth, because mm-hmm. I'm on the road traveling and, and not gone as much as I was. Um, but for a long time I was gone pretty much the whole fall and she would keep things running on the home front. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I, I do, uh, outside this hunting industry. I, I have a, uh, a landscape management company, uh, that I've owned for 27 years. Um, I have probably the largest, um, some people might be into it, maybe not, but, uh, hemp or CBD business, uh, probably the largest business in the state of Tennessee. Um, and then handle all the stuff for CBA. I have a lot going on. Um, but again, the man upstairs is not going to overload me with more than I can handle. And sometimes I do feel like I'm overwhelmed, uh, and it, it don't take long, uh, to get overwhelmed when you're, when you're rocking and trying to take care of kids and family and things like that. But I find myself praying a lot when I'm staring at a windshield going, Lord, please tell me if this ain't right. Yeah. Don't let it happen. Yeah. Don't let it happen. Well, you got so many irons in the fire, the fire's about out. Ooh, son. Man. <laughs> that's that's a lot of irons in the fire. Good. I great. got in a bunch of different directions, but but again, the the man upstairs has blessed me with a whole lot of drive and ambition and and, and we just keep pushing forward. Well, you know, some people have that entrepreneurial spirit and some people don't, and that's good. And uh but but you know, those of us that, that seem to have that entrepreneurial spirit, we're always looking for the next best thing. We're always, oh. you know, we 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 won't this to be a huge success, but there's always something else out there that is like, Oh, I wonder if I did it that way. Or if I did that, just like me being a writer for all these years. And then actually I, I learned about podcasts at a, at the at St. Poma conference down in, in uh, uh, Shreveport where it was 9,000 degrees. Uh, <laughs> Michelle was doing a, uh, a seminar on podcasting. Mm-hmm. Michelle, I can always mispronounce her last name. Schuberman. Yeah, we just we just talked there on Friday. Yeah, and she was doing one of the seminars on podcasts. And I'm like, well, I need to go to one of the seminars. I don't even know what it was. And she's who planted the seed in my head about it. And I just started just 
researching and researching and figuring out about it and learning. And, and, and then I started praying about it. Oh, Lord, which topic do you want me to do? There's so many different topics out there. It's oh, virtually any, anything that you wanted to do. And then one day it, it hit me, he said, Pete, you're passionate for Christ and you're passionate for the outdoors. Why don't you merge those together and talk about that together? And so that's what I've been trying to do since I started last October. Um, and it's, uh, uh, you know, we're growing, we're growing slow, but, but we are growing, you know, every month we're growing by, by double digit percentages. So that's, you know, I'm very pleased about that and just being, being, uh, uh, uh faithful and true to what I believe God's called me to do in this, in this arena, then, uh, you know, I'll, that's, that's what I think all I can do, you know, that I'm trying to be faithful to what God called me to do in this arena of the podcast and just, uh, trust that he's going to bless it. And then the right people are going to hear it at the right time. You know, well, you know that, uh, here uh, again, another scenario here, but um, a, a brick home is not built with one giant brick. Right. It's it's built with a hundred thousand little bricks, and those hundred thousand little bricks don't all go in place at one time. It's a brick mm-hmm. and another brick and another brick, and and no different than I built the my life in the outdoor industry. It's just stacking bricks. Outdoor writer, magazine. Right pro staffer and and the list goes on those are bricks uh in the walkway of life and and you right now are stacking bricks every month with these new followers yes it may be not huge uh but every month it's another brick that's right that's right that's right we do it you know we we release a new episode every week every sunday at noon there's a new episode out and uh um it, it takes me back to back to my pastoring days as of that uh uh sunday's coming you better be ready you know, you because, because Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, those people expect something. And so you better be ready. There's no excuse for a bad week. There's no excuse for a bad sermon or a bad message, you know, uh, because somebody needs to hear a word from God. And so, you know, that's what I'm trying to do is to bring these two things together. And Tony, I appreciate you taking time to be on the show. Um, I'm going and, uh, and for sharing everything that you have with us. Uh, I know I've kept you a long time. I do want to ask you, uh, one, one final question. My, my tagline here for lack of a better phrase, uh, or really it's my mission is trying to encourage people to enjoy God every day. And, and so I want to ask you what words of encouragement would you offer to the listener that could help them to accomplish that? How can you enjoy God today? Uh, I think as as an adult, um, w- whether man or woman listening here today on this podcast, will probably face trials and tribulations at some point this week. Today might be a good day. Tomorrow you're going, what in the heck is going on? Why me? Why me? Uh, but just know he's with you and there's a bigger plan. Thank you, Tony. Hey, brother. Take care. Enjoy your okay. evening. Thank you. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. <laughs>